All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. Another day to be alive in your grace plan. Another day with the opportunity to bring you glory. We know it might even be our last, Father, and we thank you for this privilege. Every day is a gift from you. And we're very thankful to know the truth and to know what we're alive for, to bring you glory. Father, we pray for all those sick in our congregation, all those struggling. We ask that you increase their faith and the faith of their loved ones and help them bring you glory in front of the angels. And Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that you did not withhold him from us, that you willingly gave him up to be a sacrifice to truly take our place once for all in judgment so that whoever trusts in him will be saved. Father, please bless this message. We thank you for your word. Guide us by your spirit and teach us the special message you have for each one of us this evening. We ask these things in Christ's precious name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace and stability from honoring God's authority. So many people in our church family here at North Christian Church really enjoyed the recap lessons that Pastor gave us from India the last two weeks. Pastor received lots of feedback, and I know I personally enjoyed hearing the lessons. Um, even though they're topics, for example, that I may have heard before, uh, I really enjoyed the solid truths and principles that we all need repetition for. Um, these, these things were taught to the pastors and believers in India, and yet God used them for a very special and probably different purpose for all of us, the same exact lessons. So the question that came up, um, you know, both in pastor's mind and my own was, why were these lessons so enjoyable to so many in our local congregation here? Even though they were not, you know, originally meant for us. Why were they so enjoyable? Uh, some people in, in our church have been into the Word of God for decades. And they've heard these topics many times over. Why were these lessons so enjoyable? Uh, it's kind of basic stuff for a lot of you, uh, basic topics anyway. And if you're fairly new to the Word of God, I'm sure a lot of it was fascinating to you. Yet I know many in this church have learned these topics in the past. So why did the Holy Spirit lead our dear pastor to intimately share these lessons with us when they were originally designed for specific groups of people in India? Pastors, children, women, in a different culture even. So these are some interesting things to ponder. And as is always the important question, what is the Spirit's message in all of this? Looking back on it now, after this last two weeks of lessons, what do you think was the fruit of it? And each of us can answer that in our own souls. It may be a slightly different answer for each of us, but just think about it. Take the time to ponder these things. What's the Spirit's message in all this? Why 
these lessons for us. So I was charged with the task of reviewing all seven lessons from the India trip. What's the overriding theme in these seven lessons we heard? And why did so many people enjoy it so much in our local assembly? I believe the title of our lesson today reveals the answer, the peace and stability from honoring God's authority. So let me start this way. We're all children of God, right? The Bible calls us children of God, those that believe in his son. So we're all children of God. And as children, we've been designed with a desire to know our boundaries. Think of children, you know, in the world. Think of regular, you know, everyday children. And as spiritual children of God, we've been designed with a desire. Thank you, Michael. Did you get it? All right. It was a killer wasp. Nice job. All right. I saw that thing, too. I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so let's start over before the, uh, uh, what was I saying, before the devil brought that wasp in to distract us. We're all children of God. And as children, we've been designed with a desire to know our boundaries so we can have peace and stability. Let me say that one more time. We're all children of God. And as children, we've been designed with a desire to know our boundaries. Because when we know our boundaries, even if we don't like them, when we know our boundaries, we can have peace and stability in our lives. So, for example, children in the real world, they actually desire discipline. They don't know it, but they unknowingly crave discipline for the sake of security. It's almost the same idea of knowing your father's right next to you, or he's in the yard while you're playing. He's, he's right there in the yard. It's that same idea of having that security in that authority figure present because it's also protection. What does authority do? Well, it disciplines us, but it protects us. And that's maybe why we crave it. But children unknowingly crave discipline for the sake of security, to know where they stand and how far they should go. And so humble, maturing believers in this congregation loved listening to the basic topics over the last two weeks. And the reason is they love authority, and they love knowing God's boundaries for them. There's an unexplainable peace in that. Humble people love and crave authority orientation. And that was really the theme that came out as I was preparing, the theme of all these lessons, all seven lessons. Humble people love and crave authority orientation. And I think that's why so many people in this church enjoy the lessons. It's the attitude that says, tell me the right way to do it and I'll do it. Just tell me the right way to do it and I'll do it, right? That type of obedient humili humility. But I got to know the right way first. I want to I hear what my authority says about this, what my God says about this. So on the board, uh, we're talking about honoring all authority. Wisdom tells us to honor authority, and it will be well with us. Honor divine authority, and you will be blessed. And all authority is ultimately from God. 
Romans 13, 1 through 7. So turn to Romans 13, verse 1. Give a good reminder here before we go on. Again, on the board, honoring all authority. Wisdom tells us to honor authority, and it will be well with us. Honor divine authority, and you'll be blessed. It's that simple. And all authority is ultimately from God. So that doesn't mean you're always going to like the authority. But if God allows that authority to stay in power, no matter what authority position it is, he could take them out in a second if he wanted to. So if he's allowing them to stay in that position, then there's a reason for it. All authority is ultimately from God. Romans 13.1 Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So plant that in your brain, in your soul first. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, for fear, for good behavior, of fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, the authority, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. In other words, it has the power to discipline, right? For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. Not a popular message to most people. But it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So if you think about the topics of the lessons from India, various authority structures from God were discussed as the way to spiritual growth and peace. In all seven lessons, really. Various authority structures from God were discussed as the way to spiritual growth and peace. So on the board, regarding honoring all authority, even though the flesh kicks against this idea, those who submit to the word, the same as Jesus Christ, remember, those who submit to the word and his spirit are comforted by his authority and by all authority being from God. God will even use unfair authorities for our ultimate benefit if we humble ourselves before them. So, our job, again, is to submit. Kind of like, again, in verse 5, where it says it's necessary to be in subjection. Why is it necessary? That's, that's the source of peace and stability, honoring authority. So, again, on the board, even though the flesh kicks against this, those who, are, who submit to the word, 
Jesus Christ and His Spirit are comforted by His authority and by all authority being from God. God will even use unfair authorities for our ultimate benefit if we humble ourselves before them. And so we see a peace and stability that comes from learning the basic truths of the Word and submitting to God's authorities. In other words, this isn't rocket science. This isn't complex. This isn't something that um, is only for certain people intellectual-wise. Uh, there's not a trick involved in this. If you look at all seven lessons, they were all fairly, fairly basic foundational topics. And they all involve authority orientation. So as we review, think about why you might have been so, quote-unquote, satisfied with the India lessons, like having a good, healthy meal, that feeling after you know, having a good, healthy meal. Why were you so satisfied after the lessons from India, even though you may have already known the topics? And as we review some key points, keep an eye on how the basic truths of the word give you the most comfort. Just keep that theme in your soul. How the basic, or why do the basic truths, things I even already know, give me so much comfort and even enjoyment in learning them again. And also how honoring authority is vital to this comfort. So think about that as we go through this. Remember the faith of a child. What a child craves in his life is peace and stability, really. Remember that God designed you a certain way, which mainly includes following Him and worshiping Him. Doesn't it? What did God design us to do as born-again believers? To follow Him and worship Him. To bring Him glory. Right? To live in the Great Commission. All manifestations of following Him and worshiping Him. And what does following imply? Submitting to authority? What does worship, worship imply? Submitting to authority. The true God of the universe, the creator, submitting to his authority. So sit back with this perspective in mind as we go forward in this. And also, as Pastor and I were talking about on Sunday after service, we are not here to become Bible scholars. I think we know this by now. We're not here to become intellectuals that end up thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to. We're really here to master the basics and to live in them. On the board, there's stability in the basics. We are here to master the basic truths of God's magnificent plan. They are not complex and difficult. They are truly simple and pure, and that's what makes them so wonderful, so pleasant, so satisfying, even if you hear them again. And we need the repetition and the encouragement to stand firmly in His truth. If we're humble, we know that's true. So again, on the board, there's stability in the basics. We are here to master the basic truths of God's magnificent plan, and by the way, they're not too basic if we can never master them, right? We're calling them basics, but 
you could, you could study the same topics 50 times in a row and you'd keep learning new things about them because God's word is infinite. So when you hear basics, don't think, you know, you, you can master it. You can know it all. But anyway, we, we are here to try to master, go in that direction, so to speak. We'll never truly arrive in this life, but we're here to try to master and continue to grow in the basic truths of God's magnificent plan. They're not complex and difficult. They are truly simple and pure, and that's what makes them so wonderful. And that's why each time we learn about basic truths, it's so comforting. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel when I'm listening to a topic that I learned a while ago, and I kind of know I need a refresher deep down, you know? I kind of know there's going to be new stuff in there. It, it, there's a certain comfort to it, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But it's like adding another layer to the solid rock foundation that's under your feet. It's like, it's like the rock, like it pictures standing on, a, on a, a bedrock on the side of the ocean, the rocky shoreline, right? And you could be standing on this huge rock as big as this room under your feet. You know you're not moving. You know you're not going anywhere. That, that thing is not moving. You're, you're as solid as can be. But every time we learn basic truths, it's almost like that rock is expanding even bigger under our feet and getting more, more solid, if you will. So also think about that analogy on the board regarding stability and the basics. The foundation just keeps getting deeper and thicker and stronger. So we feel the solid rock, who is Jesus Christ, under our feet and we fear less and receive his peace more and more so the basics and trying to master the basics adds more stability to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our own souls he's always sufficient right he's perfect he's complete but in our own souls it's building up our foundation in him so turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Peter 1, before we review some of the points from the India lessons. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Again, on the board, when you stick to the basics or you, you continue to learn the basics, there's stability. The foundation just keeps getting deeper and thicker and stronger, so we feel the solid rock, Jesus Christ, under our feet. And the result of that is we fear less, and we receive his peace more and more. Stability, right? Second Peter 1.12. Peter says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Now, this is the Apostle Peter talking to his flock. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. We all need reminding, right? We're forgetful, we're, we lack faith, we're doubting Thomases, etc. We all need reminding. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. 
Peter was a good shepherd, a good under-shepherd. I'm going to be diligent now while I'm alive so that you will be able to call these things to mind when you need them. What things? The same things you already know. So again, the point on the board, just keep that concept in mind. The more we, quote unquote, master the basics, the stronger our foundation is getting in Jesus Christ. And that's as simple and as good as it gets. There's nothing more pure and um, helpful to us than that. All right, so let's enjoy munching on some uh, key points from our India lessons. And it's all about having the right perspective. It all started one hot and humid day in India when some pastors came to hear messages from our dear Pastor Collins, messages which were preordained from eternity past. And only God knows who was there on that day. Some real pastors, some pretenders, some mature and humble, and some green and puffed up. But regardless of the variety of people that may have been there, the Spirit gave them all a certain message, and He encouraged us all with the same message. And the messages to the pastors exuded the importance of authority orientation. Authority orientation. Both the pastor being oriented to their authority, who is God and Savior Jesus Christ, and also the pastor leading his congregation acting as a godly authority, leading the precious sheep of Jesus Christ. So authority orientation was all over the place. It was really what it's all about, even to be a good pastor. The first preordained message was on leading a congregation. And one point that came out is that a good leader must be a good follower. A good leader must be a good follower. For the pastor, this means being a good follower of Jesus Christ, a humble follower. To be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And on the board, we heard that Jesus Christ is the Word. The Holy Bible is the very mind of Christ, the Word of God, the Son Himself in John 1.14. We must treat the Word as we would treat Jesus Christ in the flesh as the ultimate authority in our lives. Uh, that really hit me as I was reviewing that statement. We must treat the Word as we would treat Jesus Christ in the flesh. How would you treat Jesus Christ if He were here right now in the flesh? How would you honor Him? How would you submit to Him? Think about that for a minute. And that same way you would honor and submit to him if he were here right now in the flesh is the same attitude we should have towards the word because the word is him. So it's uh, a good check of our motivation and our perspective. Pastors derive all leadership authority from the word. So we honor the one who perfectly earned his stripes, Jesus Christ. And his thoughts are perfectly recorded for us in his word. And by honoring the authority of the word, we honor the one who made the ultimate sacrifice of all time, the one who earned all authority 
even from his heavenly father. He's the only one that could earn anything with God. That could satisfy his righteous demands, for example. So that's why we honor him the way we honor him. And remember, when you honor the word, or the way you honor the word, is the way you're honoring Jesus Christ. And the Lord said when giving us the Great Commission, on the board in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. And he's still a man at this point. He's resurrected. But because of his victory on the cross, all authority has been given to him, both in heaven and on earth. So he's the Lord of all. I know we know this, but just think about this. Picture this. Jesus is the Lord of all. And his word is him. And he is the gospel. It's his gospel. It's not our gospel. And he is the gospel. And the pastor's job is to faithfully pass on that message, right? Not their own message. That message as a good servant of the gospel. So we've seen uh, for a little while now this definition of the gospel on the board. Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, humbled himself to die on our behalf. Thus he became the sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty of our guilt. He rose from the dead to declare with power that he is Lord over all. And he offers eternal life freely to sinners who will surrender to him in humble, repentant faith. You know, in all honesty, I would suggest that we memorize this definition. And I say that only because, you know, thanks to our faithful pastor who's very diligent and doesn't want to miss anything, this definition of the gospel has every part of the gospel that I can think of in it. Every part of the gospel is in it, if you look at it carefully. And if we really learn this definition, if we really learn the principles in this definition, we're going to have the full picture of the gospel flowing in our soul so that when we share it, we give it correctly and fully. And this definition is also going to be included in the new salvation tracts that we're going to be printing soon, just so you know. So this is Christ's gospel. He is the gospel. This Jesus on the board that you see right now, not, not the Jesus of some churches and religions. This Jesus, the one who's God incarnate, the one who rose from the dead. This Jesus. So it's all about him, and that's why all authority on earth and in heaven starts with him because of his victory on the cross. And that's why all pastors must answer to him and be on their toes, so to speak, for his sake and for the sake of his sheep. So on the board, we have the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is our great shepherd. He's the one who ultimately leads his flock. Since he is now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven, he has anointed individual under-shepherds to carry on his work on earth. His work, 
on earth, his gospel. And on the board, regarding all authority, this means that any man who exercises authority or oversight over a congregation of sheep has been delegated that authority from the great shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. This also means that any exercise of authority must be consistent with the will of Jesus. Because all authority belongs to him. So pastors must be authority-oriented, obeying the boundaries that God gives them in his word. Such as on the board, Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God which I command you. Boundaries which children crave, which humble children crave including pastors. Pastors must stay in the boundaries to do His will and bring Him glory, not glory to themselves. So, regarding, you know, pastoring and leading a congregation, it's not about the pastor and his brilliant ideas or his wisdom. It's about sticking to the plan. Whose plan? The plan of God, right? Not His plan. Not his plan for the church to make it different than other churches, to get more people in, even compromising just to get numbers. This is all about God's plan, and that's the pastor's job, to stick to that in humility and integrity. But that's only if he sticks to the word. Is he going to get that? On the board, all pastors are servants of the word, Jesus Christ. In order to serve honorably under the great shepherd, an under-shepherd must serve the word. He must both submit to its authority and teach from that authority as the bedrock of his ministry. Above all, pastors must be humble servants. And then we also saw uh, this principle in that series, in that first lesson. So you think you're a pastor? The greatest way to lead is to first learn how to follow. See, a lot of pastors don't want this. They don't want to be humble. They want to be the leader, and they want to be known as the leader. They don't want to be a follower. But a good leader is going to be a good follower, which means humble, following Jesus Christ. In fact, our great example, Jesus Christ, was subservient to his Father's plan. Just think about that. The perfect one the one we worship, he was subservient to his father's plan. If you think you may have the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher, then submit yourself to the word. Submit to the word. There are a lot of um, young people, young men that, that say, hey, I think I might have the gift of pastor. And they're young. And they might be zealous, but they're young. And like uh, I think Timothy said, don't promote somebody too young, all right, because they're going to be puffed up and they're not ready. But if you want to be a pastor and you think that's really a gift, submit to the word. Submit. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and his word for years. And then see if you think you're still a pastor. But it takes submission. It takes tremendous humility to be a good, true pastor of God. 
commit yourself with the same fervency of those who have preceded you, starting with Jesus himself. Remember, the Bible says even Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. And he was perfect. So how much more do we need to learn obedience that way? And that includes in, in submitting to God. There's a certain suffering. There's a certain sacrifice if you submit. And there's a certain fruit of it as well. If we can't learn from the Lord's obedience, then we are stupidly fighting against authority orientation itself. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 5, verse 8. Hebrews 5, 8. Again, if we can't learn from Jesus' obedience, we are stupidly fighting against authority orientation itself. Hebrews 5, 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. By the way, if you're having trouble obeying the perfect one, then you're really arrogant. If you can't obey someone that's perfect as your authority, you've got a real arrogance issue, right? But that's another, you know, conversation. But again, on the board or in your Bibles, Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. What did Jesus learn in the flesh? Even though he was perfect, what did Jesus learn in the flesh? Obedience. Which is what? Honoring authority. And what was the fruit of that in Jesus' life? What did, he, what did he gain from this incredible, relentless obedience to the Father in heaven? He's our example of peace and stability. That was his gift, even in his humanity. He had to grow and learn, just like all of us, follow the Father, follow the Word, which is kind of ironic, being that he is the word. But in his humanity, he chose to be so obedient and to honor authority. And what happened? A gift of peace and stability in his own soul and in his relationship with the Father. So on the board, for example, we might call this the fruit of obedience. The peace and love Jesus shared with God the Father is insurmountable and wonderfully unexplainable. That all happened in his humanity because he was 100% pure in unwavering obedience to the Father's plan. Again, what's the fruit of obedience? In his case, perfect obedience. The peace and love Jesus shared with God the Father because of his obedience, because that relationship built and built and built, because of his humility, he reached this place that was, you know, we might call ultimate peace and happiness. Insurmountable and wonderfully unexplainable. That all happened in his humanity because he was 100% pure in his unwavering obedience to the Father's plan. Now, none of us are going to be 100% pure in unwavering obedience to the Father's plan. 
we can't do that. But if that's our direction, if that's our habit, if that's our lifestyle, and we continue to go in that direction and grow in obedience and humility to the Father's plan, we are going to receive the gift of peace and stability, which is what the whole thread of the messages have been telling us, really. The whole scripture tells us that this is what we receive, true peace, not the world's peace, real peace, satisfaction, even joy. So I hope you see the reward in honoring authority. Just think of John chapter 17, where the Lord talks to his father with such great intimacy. We're not going to go there now, but you can go home and read it if you want. John 17, the way he's talking to God the Father is so over-the-top intimate. We can't you know, fathom having that type of intimacy and love that they shared. Where did it come from? It really came from his lifestyle of obedience. So I hope you see the purity and peace that comes from obedience and honoring authority. This is why the obedience and humility of the pastor is so important. Why is it so important? You see, it's not only his own peace and stability that's on the line. It's also those following him. And not being able to visibly see God in Jesus today, the people listening to a pastor, the naive sheep, will look to and observe the pastor for guidance like a wandering sheep without a shepherd looking for love and stability, even looking for water. As you know, sheep can't even find water on their own. <laughs> That's how, how bad they are, how dumb they are. So you picture that. You've got all kinds of people listening to a pastor at all different levels of growth. You have new believers who have come in from the world, realize Jesus Christ is their rescue, is their Lord and Savior. They come in to learn, but they, they can't see Jesus right now visibly. And all they see is this guy who represents Jesus Christ, telling them about Jesus Christ. So unless he's humble and following the Lord, he's not going to have peace and stability, and he's not going to be able to give them the peace and stability that God desires. So the pastor has to realize that he's the example held up in front of a lot of naive ignorant children at times. And the second message that was preordained to the pastors in India was called the pastor's example. So we transition quickly into that. The pastor must realize authority has been granted to him by grace. And his job is to reveal the heart of Christ to the people. So on the board we saw in the second lesson the key to shepherding. The key to becoming a pastor is simple. God chooses you. And if he chooses you, he appoints you. If he appoints you, he provides you with all the necessary abilities by grace to perform your duties as unto the Lord. These duties will reflect the heart of Christ towards his own sheep. And the pastor must be aware that his calling is not just about doing the right things. It's also about doing the right things in love. We can do a lot of right things, but without love as the motivation. 
the pastor is called to reflect the love of our great shepherd. And as the, world tells, the word tells us, let all that you do be done in love. So there's no greater example than the Lord himself. On the board, a shepherd's love. From a sheep's perspective, the pastor must be above all loving. He must exhibit the same love that Christ did and the same love that Christ instructed Peter to have for his sheep. So turn in your Bibles to John 21, verse 15. And let's see what our Lord, the ultimate authority, asked of Peter. Taking care of and loving his sheep was the Lord's top priority, which he passed down to the under-shepherds. John 21, 15. So when they had finished breakfast, when was this, by the way? When they had finished breakfast, this was after the resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. So think about this. This is right before Jesus is going away for a long time. He's leaving the apostles to live the Great Commission on their own now with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So right before Jesus himself is leaving, this is what he says. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Not much more of a clearer analogy or a clearer answer to what love is in the Lord's mind. In other words, what do you do with the authority I've given you, pastors? What do you do with the authority I've given you? Are you going to be like me and love the sheep and take care of them and watch after them? Or not? It's a huge responsibility. That's why I'm glad I don't have the gift of pastor. It's a huge responsibility. It's a huge calling. It's a, it's a 24-7 job if you're going to do it with the right heart. And again, it's not about just doing the right things. You could get a business person out there who's a good speaker to come in and pastor a church. He'll do the right things. He'll teach. He'll, he'll whatever, take care of the church, operations. He'll make sure things run smoothly, efficiently, get some more people in the seats. Let's run this like a business. Anyone can do that. But only a true under-shepherd is going to have the heart to operate in these right things with love. And that, that of course, makes all the difference. That's what it's all about. And no pastor is perfect, but he is called to habitually lead in this way, in love. And love conquers all, remember, according to 1 Corinthians 13. Love conquers all. And the Word, Jesus Christ, knew this and lived it. So, here's our example, especially for pastors. He's our example. Imitate him, follow him. Submit to the word. 
So we talked about more on the shepherd's love. The greatest example a pastor can ever give is to be loving. His love must be unconditional the way Jesus's was. A pastor's love must be an abiding love. And then if love is the motivation, then keeping his commandments is the resulting manifestation. If love is the motivation of the pastor, then keeping his commandments is the fruit of that motivation. A pastor's greatest example is in keeping the law of God. That is to say that through love, and this really goes for all of us, through love, a pastor abides in his commands, including the ones specifically meant for pastors alone. So we're moving back to honoring authority, God's authority. And living in love makes it possible. How do we obey all these commands? How do we run away from temptation? How do we flee youthful lusts and all that? The only way we successfully do it, without much of a burden even, is to abide in His love. Because if we love Him, we'll keep His commands. So, again, back to the pastor's example. A pastor must remember at all times that the sheep are commanded to submit to his authority and even imitate his faith. He must never take his commission lightly, for if he does, he may be the cause for stumbling in others. Again, it's a very high calling and responsibility. By now we know, Scripture tells us love is the greatest motivation one can have. It inspires one to keep the ways of God without much effort at all. Because love motivates you to do some amazing things. Even if they're hurtful to you. Even if they're a sacrifice to you. Love, if you have, if you have love, if you possess God's love, it's not painful to make a sacrifice. Because your motivation and your heart is with Him. And trust, I mean, none of us ever arrive in this life. But that's the direction we should be on. That's in, in humility the direction we should be on, learning more and more and more and more and more and more and more to abide in His love. And then we'll keep His commands. And guess what? We'll be happy. Go figure. The blessing of obedience is happiness. The blessing of, a, the blessing of abiding in His love, instead of searching for love in all the wrong places, is true happiness. So this not only goes for the pastor, but also for all believers who have been commissioned with certain spiritual gifts. And that's everybody. Everybody who's a believer listening to my voice right now, this goes for you. Because you've been commissioned at least one spiritual gift. So this leads us to the third lesson we received from India on spiritual gifts. If you're not a pastor, you've still been given one or more spiritual gifts by God. That means you have also been granted a certain type of authority from God. That's the proper way to look at this. In whatever area of your gift is, or your gifts, you've been granted a certain type of authority from God to operate in that gift. He has entrusted you with something, and He expects that you obey His authority in leading 
in living in your gift. And remember, your job is not to rush to put a name on your spiritual gift. That really doesn't matter up front. Your job is to obey his authority. Your job is to follow his leading when he puts something in your path for you to do. When you know something's from God, and you know when it's from God, just by the way it happens, right? The quote-unquote coincidences that God might use for you, the direct answer to prayer that God might use to you one day. You know it's from God, and he puts it right in front of your face. Obey. Even if what he puts in front of you is like, oh, I didn't want that gift. Just, if you know in your heart that's from God, just obey. Follow his leading, and you'll be blessed, right? And he's trusting you with that thing, with that gift, with that area to fulfill, to live in a, a certain authority he's giving you. And that's how we ultimately discover our spiritual gifts. But once again, it comes back to honoring God's authority in our lives. Receiving the spiritual gift he gives you is accepting his will for your life in humility. And remember, obedience leads to blessing, to peace and stability and happiness. So on the board regarding spiritual gifts, it's not what you call your spiritual gift, it's whether or not you accept your calling. When that thing is in front of you, when he's calling you to obey and go forward in this area, are you going to accept that calling or not? So don't worry about the name of your gift. Just pay attention. Follow him. Ask him. Pray about it. Are you willing to listen to his calling on your life? It starts with willingness first. A genuine humility to say, Dad, you know what's best for me. Genuine humility. Dad, you know what's best for me. I don't. Show me what you want me to do with the rest of my life how you want me to serve in the body of Christ. Please show me. I'll do it. Put it in front of me. Make it obvious, please. I'm an idiot. Put it in front of me. I'll do it. That's humility. And don't forget, God also knows what the rest of the body of Christ needs. Not just in our own church, but in each church as members of the body. He knows what the body needs. So His Spirit leads certain people to certain pastors in certain parts of his body, certain churches. And he says, you know what? There's a need over there for this. There's a gap in that church. Uh, let's say there's no mercy. We need the gift of mercy to be in that church. I'm going to lead this believer of mine, this child of mine over here, because he's willing and he's humble, and he's asking me to fill that gap in that body of Christ. Now, what if that believer doesn't obey? Well, God will get someone else, but it's to his loss. He had a divine calling on his life to actually bring glory to God by obeying that call and even living in, in the authority God wanted to give him. And some people say no. But God will provide a certain gift to help the body function well at just the right time even. So on the board, we learned about spiritual continuity. Only God knows exactly how the body of Christ best works together. 
Therefore, only God can rightly decide. Right? Only God can rightly decide. You, in other words, can't rightly decide. So don't try to be a hero. This came up in the spiritual gifts lesson. Don't insert your own will and desire into the equation. Instead, be humble and sit back and pray. Listen to him. Ask him to make it obvious. Admit you're a dumb sheep and you need the platter to be placed in front of your nose. And if, with that humility, what does God do to those who are humble? What does he give? Grace, right? Do we want his will or our will? He'll tell you what to do and where to be in the body if you want to know. But remember, it's his body we're a part of. And he knows the best role for us to take. So this came up in the, in the series as well. Ill-fated rescue missions. As soon as man decides that God needs his help, he is at risk of putting his nose where it doesn't belong. God has accomplished his will just fine for millennia without your, quote-unquote, help. Do not let human rationalism influence your spiritual gifts or how you ex exercise it or them. A lot of people can do this. A lot of ambitious young men want to be a pastor because they're arrogant. They want the position. That's just one example, but it's, it's a reality. Don't try to help God. Obey where he's telling you to go and what he's telling you to do. So we, fought, we saw in the spiritual gifts lesson in 1 Corinthians 12. Actually, why don't you turn there? We only got about five minutes left, but turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. We might just go a couple minutes over, but I want to finish this lesson tonight. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects and the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So this came up on the board regarding the common good. Man may perceive common good, but he cannot author it. How can he? given his limited knowledge compared to the omniscient God of the universe. God causes all things to work together for good, not man, in Romans 8.28. Human rationalism has no place in common good. So in other words, it's God's decision. In verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You're given the manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit will guide you into what role what gift to fill for the common good? And then in verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each individually, to each one individually, just as He wills. 
Again, it's about God's authority. It's about the authority of Jesus Christ saying, this is what I want you to do. Are you listening? Do you want to know what I want you to do or do you want to know what you want to do? It's about humility. And he gives us authority in whatever our gift is. But guess what? If it's not your gift from him, it's going to be a struggle. Stop striving and forcing what you want God's plan to be. Remember in verse 11, it's just as he wills. On the board. God wills, plans, chooses, and enables all spiritual gifts. Think about the word spiritual gift. It's of the spirit. It's a spiritual thing. How can it be of man? God wills, plans, chooses, and enables all spiritual gifts. Man cannot do these things righteously. The beauty is that if God wills it, it will be done. Our attitude must mirror Jesus's, which manifests your will be done. In Matthew 6:10 and Matthew 26:42. Your will be done, Lord. By submitting to his will, I guess my time's up, huh? By submitting to his will, we honor his authority. Whose authority are you, are you honoring? Your own? By submitting to his will, we honor his authority. When we honor his authority, we're at peace in our lives. Are you sensing a certain recurring theme here? Our job is to remain humble and obey him, and we'll be blessed for it. And that's really the theme of the whole India lessons. It was all about authority structures for different folks in different settings and different people for churches, for families, for spiritual gifts directly from God. It's all about authority. And if you submit to God's ways, He will bless you. And just as a, a closing point regarding spiritual gifts, regarding honor, remember no spiritual gift is better than another. In fact, we're all servants of Christ, not ourselves. Our thoughts must be to obey by faith, God's will, no matter what. When he puts a plate in front of your nose, don't sniff it and go, mm, that's not what I wanted. Be like, if that's what you want, Father, I will enjoy this meal. I will accept your gift, your calling on my life. So we have to remember also that God is after our hearts as we close this evening. God is after our hearts. He doesn't want us to do it out of guilt, out of obligation. He's not just after obedience. He's after obedience motivated by love. If your motivation is not right, then step back and take a break. Even from a spiritual gift. Step back if your motivation is not right, if your heart's not right. I actually had someone who who gave to um, our ministry, the Evangelism Christ Saves Ministries, for years. And they stopped their giving one day and, and wrote me an email and said, I need to pray about this because my heart's not in it right now. So they stopped their giving. And I said, good, awesome. Because what good is it if it's from human strength and effort? And it's the same with our spiritual gifts.
If our motivation is not love, love for Christ that motivates us, then step back. Maybe you're not ready to operate in it. Maybe you need more time tending to your own vineyard and relationship with the Lord. But we know the Bible says God desires a cheerful heart that wants to do His will and serve His body. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but is that your lifestyle? Is that your habit? Is that your direction? doesn't mean every day you're going to feel like it. doesn't mean that at all. It means where's your heart? Overall, where's your heart? Why are you doing what you do? On the board in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is not talking about just money. In everything we do, God loves a cheerful giver. So we'll continue with more of our review on Thursday evening, seeing how honoring authority is the central theme that gives us more and more stability as God's children. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who dwells in us and teaches us and reveals these things to us. We thank you for these lessons. We thank you for bringing it all together for us and, and giving us humility to even appreciate the basics. Father, help us remain humble. Help us to obey your authority in all areas. We know that honoring authority is what gives us true peace and stability in our lives. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ as our foundation, the rock of all ages. We ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.